Most of the male runners figured if any woman wants to run 26 miles in a driving rain, let her run. But veteran Boston trainer Jock Semple thought the whole thing was silly. No, there's enough competition for women. What the heck? Why did they want to tackle the, the, the toughest thing in the world? It's just the women and their stubbornness just want to do something that they're not supposed to do. That's all there is to it. You know that. You're married. That was 50 years ago. In the time since, women have made remarkable progress towards equality in sport. Today, 40% of all athletes are women, and yet women still receive less than 4% of media coverage. The Iron Woman podcast wants to help change that. We interview female professional athletes and other remarkable women making breakthroughs in endurance, sport, and research. So that when I grow up, I will have heroes. I'm Alyssa Gadeski. I'm Haley Chura. And I'm Rosalie. And you're listening to the Iron Women Podcast. This is Haley, and I've spent most of my swimming career squinting at pace clocks or trying to catch a glimpse of my watch during intervals. If you're like me and love knowing your swim splits but hate finding a clock, there's a better way. Form Swim Goggles are the first premium goggles with a smart display that shows your metrics while you swim. You heard that right. Form Goggles have a see-through display in one of the eye cups so you can see your splits, pace, distance, or any other metric right in front of you. I've done a few workouts with the Form Swim Goggles, and the coolest thing is once you press start, the goggles actually know when you're swimming and when you're resting. There's no need to press another button until you finish your workout. Want to learn more? Head to formswim.com. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. Hey, Haley. How's it going over there in Montana? How are you doing this week? I am snowed in, Alyssa. It is very snowy here in Montana. It's beautiful. It's actually not too cold, but the going is slow anytime I'm outdoors, whether I am on the fat bike, whether I am walking, running. I haven't actually driven my car in like several days just because I'm afraid of getting stuck. But so that's about how it's going. How are you doing? How's how's the Ironman training? You're in the thick of it. And I think I heard you had a, a very big day yesterday. Yeah, it's gotten real. I'm in that point where I'm basically just eating all the food, Haley. I actually, I did put this on my Instagram, but I resorted to like Saturday. Saturday was a double bike day for me. So I, and a swim and a run. So I swam and then did one bike. And then in the afternoon, I had another bike and a brick run. And in between those, I was like, oh my God, I have like, my energy is like continuing to go away. Like I need to eat more food to like power myself for the second thing. And so I actually, I had like this brilliant idea. I was like, I know exactly what I want right now. And I took a pop tart and then I put Nutella on it and then I ate it. And Haley, I was like, Oh my God, that's so good. I'm going to do it with the second pop tart that comes in that bag. And so I put Nutella on that one and I ate it. And then I had to like rest for like 45 minutes. Cause I think I sent my body into a sugar shock. I was going to say your blood sugar. Oh my goodness. Like I am all for the sugar, but I don't think I could, I don't think I would know if I would survive that. It, it, what I will say that's, 
if you're not someone who eats a lot of sugar, I would not <laughs> go for that right away. But I do have a fair bit of like sugar and carbs and candy and stuff when I'm heavy training. So I think my body figured it out. I actually did quite well in the second um, workout. So that was good. But yeah, I'm just like eating all the food and I, I feel like I, that was weird. I have a few go-to weird things that I do. Like I like sweet, I keep, keep a lot of sweet potatoes. So like I cook them in the oven and then that's like a really handy snack whenever you need a snack, right? Not cold. You have to like heat it up and it's like good, right? And then you can either do like butter and salt on that, which is lovely, or like maple syrup. Or my personal favorite is sometimes in the morning, this is actually a good breakfast too. You can do peanut butter on the sweet potato and that is surprisingly amazing. Um, you can do peanut butter and Nutella, I guess, if you've gotten the Nutella for your Pop-Tarts. What other weird things do I like to eat? This is clearly what a versatile right vegetable. Now. I'm it so, is. I'm so impressed with the sweet potato right now. I didn't realize it was so versatile. I've, I've clearly been missing out on the, the many phases of the sweet potato. I do a lot of like rice with butter and salt too. I think that's like been my go-to this week. I don't know. Do you have any, any like go-to training snacks I can try this week, Haley? Because my priorities <laughs> I don't I'm sorry I'm like I'm like at a loss here I think that I like things that are easy usually but like that I do like the break and bake cookies just because those Ooh, are pretty easy yeah and do you even go through the trouble of baking them or do you just eat them yeah okay. no because I don't I get I do get a little afraid of like salmonella and so I bake them, but they don't take very long. And then they are warm, which I'm all about the warm foods right now, um, just because it's fairly cold outside. So I like the bake and break cookies, I think. And you could just make like, I mean, I, I just make a couple at a time, but I think in your case, you could probably make the whole pack. I mean, 24 <laughs> might, might just hold you over until your next session. So there's my, my suggestion or like have it do like, you know, start the oven. And then if you had some like mobility or strength things that you need to do really quick by the time you're done with that like they're done oh that's a good idea and actually I put my bread maker a lot of times this time of like training to good use because that same concept you can have you ever <laughs> I love appliances also so have you ever used a bread maker Haley I have not I don't even own a toaster actually I like I'm the opposite I hate appliances <laughs> I would be like on the raw food like diet <laughs> So I, I love my machines. And so the bread maker, I like stole from my parents' basement a few years ago. And it's awesome. You literally just put ingredients into the machine and then it comes out as bread like a few hours later or pizza dough. And so like sometimes I make pizza dough, but same concept. I can like throw bananas and like you just put, you literally put, you do have to mash up the bananas. That's like an extra step, I guess. But you literally just put the bananas, flour, sugar, eggs maybe uh yeast I, I forget what goes into the banana bread but I have a little sheet and then you just dump it into the bucket in the machine and then you press it to number six and then you get hot warm banana bread like two hours later it's amazing wow well now that we've given some like terrible nutrition advice um, how, how's the actual training going is uh like have, have you, it seems like you've been doing some, a lot of time on the bike and have you done any fun rides? It has a weather bend. Did you get hit by that snow in Charlottesville? No, none of that S word here. I'm not even saying that word because I have like a little bit more outside riding. I know I need to get in. So I'm not even going to jinx myself. Um, it's actually been very mild, a little bit wet, but most like of the wetness has happened during the week, which has been fine with me. And yeah, I've been doing a long ride on my Sundays. So getting in a solid day of biking, which is like, about 120 miles, give or take. And 
then doing some long running on Monday. So like my, the normal, you know, triathlete schedule, triathlete schedule, I guess has been mixed up a little bit to give me that more biking time, because that was definitely one piece that I hadn't quite put back together in my 2019 Ironman. So I'm feeling really good about where I am with that. I think my new fit that I got in December, was it? Yeah, December has really helped with that. And so I am excited to like see where I am in the race. Um, and overall, you know, I mean, no Ironman training is ever perfect. I was, I like ran and then went to masters today and I literally was like crying into my goggles during the warm up because I was like, why are we doing a 300 IM in the warm up first of all, but also, um, like I'm getting left behind because I'm not even making like the warm up intervals. And I was like, Oh no, but Haley, true is, that, Iron- wait, 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 is that a full 75 of butterfly? Oh yeah. So we had to do our warm up. This was ridiculous. It was a 300 freestyle, 300 IM, 200 freestyle, 200 IM, hundred, hundred, you know? And so like, I, I mean, after a 300 freestyle, I am like nowhere near warmed up enough to be doing a 75 fly. Right. So that was like, I was like, I should just get out now, but I stuck it out. And then uh, I was behind, behind, behind. We had to do a lot of fly today, actually. And then by the time we did four by 200 freestyle at the end, Haley, who was winning? Well, in my the, lane, I was winning. The, um, <laughs> the Iron Woman, the Iron Woman, Alyssa Gadeski was showing her endurance and her superior pacing over yes. her master's swim lane mates. I love so, it. I feel like that's a, that's actually like a really good omen that like my body's taking a long time to warm up. It's like, it means you're in Ironman shape, I feel like. So we're doing something right. I just have to keep gutting it out for another uh, couple weeks. And yeah. And then... I'll see you for the live event in Atlanta at that point, which is super exciting. Everyone should know by now for our listeners. But if anyone hasn't caught the news, February 26th in Atlanta, we are hosting our first live Iron Women podcast event where I will be moderating a panel with our very own Haley Chura, Ruth Brennan Mori, Sarah Bishop, and we're going to have a lot of really great, great sponsors there with swag. Haley, I think we've, we finally let the listeners like know some of our sponsors, right? For that. Yes. For this event, we have Gooder, Wahoo, Zelios, Orca, Runner, and Form who are, we're very thankful for their, their support of that event. And we will have swag and giveaway from all those companies and, it's going to be a really good time and it is a small event. It's limited, limited space. So your chances of winning a giveaway, I feel like are really, really good. And we have some really good giveaways. And, um, that is February 26th, less than two weeks from when you're listening to this in Atlanta, Georgia, the tickets are at livefeisty.com. It's $20. And Alyssa, did you catch Sarah Bishop's marathon last weekend? So Sarah Bishop is one of the women who's going to be on the panel. She is running at the Olympic trials on February 29th. And she just ran the Mesa marathon this past weekend. Did you see her result? Oh, I saw Haley. I believe she ran a 239, which is quite swift, I have to say. And so I'm super excited to ask her all about that. And also about how it feels to race a 239. And then a few days later, like a week later, race Challenge Wanaka, 70.3 distance, half a world away, right? And then right. travel back we'll just... and also race the Olympic trials in the same month. So this is wild. I mean, she's doing well. She, um, You can follow Sarah Bishop on her social media and kind of see how this plays out. But I have a lot of questions for her. Um, if other people have questions for Sarah or anyone else, let, let me know. I'm starting to compile 
everything that we'll be talking about and some of the some of the questions that I'll be asking during the event. But that that is particularly, I mean, beyond even my grasp. I feel like. Well- winning a marathon and then getting on a plane to New Zealand, just like days later, there's like any small part of this is impressive, but the entire thing put together, like it just, it blows my mind, Alyssa. Like I can't wait to hear Sarah talk. Maybe I'll just like, when someone asks me a question, I'll just be like, no, defer to Sarah. (laughs) Cause she, she could be here all night. She has super endurance, but, um, no, it's going to be really good. Like we have very, very different backgrounds. That is not my approach going into this race. I don't believe it's Ruth Brennan Morris either. So it's going to be a really good conversation. I'm really looking forward to it. I got super sore when you said run a marathon and then get on a plane. So hopefully she is a plane to the South Island of yeah. New Zealand. <laughs> so hopefully like she's like drinking a lot of noon hydration to flush everything out. And then she'll hopefully be like a new person when she walks off that plane. Speaking of noon hydration, Haley, they are doing a super cool thing. I don't know if you caught this on the internet this week. Um, the new Ness award is happening. I did see that it's back. So this is the second year that the noon hydration has sponsored the noon S award. It's a $2,500 award that can go to any female athlete, a professional amateur any level. Um, I think it might even be any age and you can nominate yourself or you can nominate someone else that you think would be deserving of this $2,500 award. The application is open through February 20th. So you don't have a lot of time. I believe it involves making a video, but if you want the details, you can go to noons.noonlife.com forward slash award. Did I get that right? Make sure I got that. So go to that website that has all the details. Make sure you get that in before February 20th. It's a great award. And I'm super excited that they brought it back for year two. Yes. Super exciting. Can't wait to, you know, see who gets that award. I guess we'll be finding out soon. Hopefully if the, you know, it's open till again, what, February 20th. So get your submissions in. And Haley, we are going to skip mailbag this week because we have a great interview, but Everyone can continue to send in mailbag questions to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com and we will keep them for upcoming episodes. So thanks to everyone who is sending them in. This week's interview is with Sarah Piampiano Lord. It's she's that's probably a name you're familiar with in the triathlon world. She's the third fastest American woman ever at the Ironman distance after she recorded an incredible 840-48 course record at Ironman Brazil in 2019. I believe Sarah is also a four-time Ironman champion, seven-time 70.3 champion, and she's finished in the top 10 in Kona twice. And most recently, she kind of went after a big unconventional goal of trying to qualify for the U.S. Olympic Marathon Trials at the Houston Marathon. Sarah tells us about that race in Houston that happened just a few weeks ago, her plans for 2020, and she gives a little insight into her involvement in the professional triathlete organization or PTO. We'll have our conversation with Sarah right after the break. Triathlon is certainly hard on your skin without a doubt. That was Teresa Helsel, dermatologist PA and accomplished triathlete. Earlier this year, Teresa came on the podcast to offer skincare advice specific to triathletes. Teresa's two biggest tips were to avoid sunburn and chafing. And luckily, Iron Women podcast listeners get 15% off all Zelio skincare products, including Sun Barrier SPF 45 zinc-based sunscreen and Betwixt Athletic Skin Lubricant and Chamois Cream. 
Use the code IRONWOMEN at TeamZelios.com for 15% off and use Zelios products to protect your skin during all your swim, bike, run fun. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So huge congratulations on your recent run at the Houston Marathon. But before we get all into the marathon talk, I think we just need to take a step back and appreciate the year you put together in 2019. 11 races, six podiums, two wins, including an incredible 840-48 course record at Ironman Brazil, a performance that was the third fastest time ever by an American woman, and featured a 2:53 marathon split off the bike. <sighs> You finished 14th at the World Champs in Kona, and you've already secured your 2020 Kona slot with a second-place finish in Western Australia. So how does it feel to look back on a year like that? You know, it's pretty amazing, actually, particularly because in 2018, I was really burned out of triathlon, and I questioned whether or not I even wanted to continue racing. And I just wasn't enjoying myself, and I feel like for the amount of time and energy that is necessary to put into this sport to compete at the level that we do. Um, you really have to love the process, at least most of the time. And so to come into 2019 and have the season that I did, I kind of feel like it was reflective of just how I was feeling about triathlon again. You know, it was like I refound the love of the sport and the process of training. And I just loved getting out on the race course and racing. And so it was just fun for me. And, and so to look back on 2019, it's just, I don't know. It, it brings me a lot of, um, like I smile when I think about it and it definitely gives me a lot of pride because I feel like I didn't give up on the sport even when I was kind of going through a tough time. And, and it was just a reflection of how I was feeling. So we want to dig into that a little bit more because we actually, we listened to some other podcasts you did during the last season and it did surprise us to hear that you started the year feeling, you know, quite tired, a little burned out and like questioning yeah. things. Right. So to make sure our listeners are up to speed, you had by everyone else's accounts, probably like a very solid 2018 season. You won the 70.3 in Lima and you finished the year with an 11th place finish in Kona and fourth at the Ironman South America championships in Argentina. So can you just like talk a little bit more about that? I mean, you're coming off of some pretty solid performances, but did you think like, maybe I just need a little bit of time off? Was it a physical mental break? you know, and then when did you start to be like, okay, I think, you know, maybe I can do this even better. So pretty much all of 2018. I, and I agree with you. Like, I feel like I, I actually pulled off some pretty good performances in 2018, but it was like, I mean, you guys know, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate. Sometimes you go out there and you just feel like you're extracting every ounce of everything out of yourself to just get across the finish line and you're not really having fun with it. And you're just like miserable. And that's kind of how I felt in every single race and, and really almost like every single workout. It was like, I was dreading the sessions. My, um, training was like really inconsistent. I just like would show up at races and I didn't know, I didn't really have confidence in terms of whether or not I was going to perform or not. I felt like some races were good. Others were not so good. I just felt tired all the time, really unmotivated. So I don't feel like I necessarily had like the worst season. It's just like my mindset was, wasn't great. And physically I just felt so depleted. And at the end of 2018, I sat down with my coach, Matt Dixon, and I was pretty nervous actually, because I, I really pride myself on, I think we all probably pride ourselves on being really tough and being able to absorb the workload and, and all that. And 
I sat down with him and I just said, Matt, I can't, I'm so tired. Like, I don't think that I can handle the volume anymore. And he said, you know, you've gone for a number of years without a really big break. And sometimes what you need is just to take a step back and take a big break. And so he said, you know, we're going to take effectively four months off. So I took six weeks completely off and then I did very light training. So probably less than 12 hours a week of training until March. And that whole time I was miserable. Like it was not fun. I wasn't, you know, I still wasn't enjoying it. And then it was like one day, literally one morning, I remember I was in Scottsdale, Arizona and I, and I woke up and I went out for a ride and it was like, something had flipped in me. And suddenly it was like my body, I think finally was recovered or I'm not sure what, but I do definitely think that I probably dug myself a little bit into a hole. I had attempted to do two Ironmans very close together at the end of 2018. And I just think that probably, I'm probably not the most resilient athlete in terms of like big volume and being able to do Ironman races really close to one another like that. So, I mean, other people are are super good at it. Um, but I think it just put me into a big hole. And, and so, yeah, so for me, it was just, uh, it was really just having the rest. Um, I think having not just like four weeks, two weeks off or four weeks off or six weeks off. It was like those four months of really, really low volume training. And I was doing some high intensity stuff. It's just like, there was a lot of rest in between and I just wasn't doing any of the big miles that I typically do at this time of year. So you spent those four months at that significantly reduced training load from December 2018 through March 2019, but then you wasted no time getting back on the race circuit. Your first race back was in mid-April 2019 when you attempted to defend your title at Lima 70.3, and unfortunately, I believe it was a severe mechanical that took you out of the race on the bike. But I'm interested to hear about your mindset going into that race. Were you nervous about getting back on a start line so soon after a pretty big break? I was very nervous. I was nervous for a number of reasons. I was nervous because I didn't really feel ready to go race at all. I had, hadn't done, you know, I had been doing a little bit of intensity on the bike, but it was like three and four minute intervals, like nothing kind of that. And most of my rides had been like two hours or less. So there wasn't really like anything suggesting that I was ready to go and ride hard for 56 miles. I hadn't been doing much run volume at all. And anything that I was doing, I wasn't really doing much speed work. So I just, I wasn't feeling that prepared. But then I think in addition to that, it was just like a a lot of anxiety around whether or not I was even going to enjoy it. And so even though I did get that mechanical in Peru, I walked away from the race just so happy because I loved being out on the race course and racing again. And for me, like that was all I needed to know that, you know, in terms of like, okay, everything's going to be okay this year. Like at least I'm enjoying it again because that's kind of like the most important thing to me. I feel like I was following a few of you who are in Lima and that looked like a fun race, at least to be picking, you know, even if you didn't get to finish that day, but like, it was probably a good pick to like help keep a lighter mood around the race. Cause I feel like there was definitely some fun, a fun atmosphere at that race. There was, and it's, I mean, I think racing in South America in general is kind of fun. Cause just like the crowds are always really you know, into it and they've got kind of like a good energy and, um, the people racing down there and, and at that race in particular were people that I really enjoy. So it was, it was fun. And honestly, it was kind of the best in some ways, sort of like the best way for me to get back into it, I guess. Like I, I didn't end up doing the whole thing, but it was just enough of a taste for me to feel like, okay, this is good. 
And Sarah, we took a look at some of your recent race results. So even though you said a little bit ago that you might not be the most resilient in terms of like racing Ironman close together, it seems that you do like racing in general, you know, close (laughs) together. So there's a a bit of a pattern with like four week blocks. You do a 70.3 followed by another 70.3 two weeks later, followed by an Ironman two weeks later after that. So can you tell us about that strategy and like has hindsight kind of made you maybe change strategies going forward? So that strategy is one that we just, that kind of fell into it this year a little bit. I think in my lead up to Ironman Brazil, which was my first Ironman of the season, we, uh, because I had DNF'd in Peru, we just decided to do that uh, back to back. So I raced 70.3 St. George and then followed that up with 70.3 Monterey. And then I went in and had this like amazing race in Brazil. And so after that, I think you know, we hadn't really planned out my season. And when that happened, we kind of took a cue from that and decided to give it a go again with my Ironman in Hamburg during the summertime. And I felt like it worked really well in Hamburg too. So then as we approached Kona, we decided that we were going to have me race two weeks before Kona as well. So it was a little bit of a new strategy, but I think it works really well because you effectively do an Ironman race at a higher level over a one week period. And then you have this time to sort of recover and then, and then go back and then go into your Ironman. So for me, it just, it seemed to work well. And, you know, you get those two big, I I mean, to me, like racing a 70.3 is kind of, it's training for an Ironman race. So that's kind of how I always view it. You're also not afraid to travel during these racing blocks. So in, in your second of the successful 70.3, 70.3 Ironman blocks last year, you raced in Ecuador, <laughs> Kazakhstan, and Germany, respectively. Do you, do you have like a secret job as a travel agent that you're also like moonlighting as you're yep. traveling everywhere? I would tell you not to do that, actually. I did not realize where Kazakhstan was. <laughs> I decided to do it. And that was a little bit of aggressive. The jet lag was pretty extreme and that was not my, that was not one of my best decisions in terms of race race plans that I've ever made. And, but you know, at the same time, like, I just feel like we have this one chance in our lives to like, how cool is it to be traveling around the world going and racing, right? Like when would I ever go to Kazakhstan? Probably never. So here I was given this opportunity to go and race there. And although I guess sometimes maybe it may have a negative impact on what the outcome is for another race or whatever. I just, I don't know. I I think it's important to embrace the opportunities that are given to you and enjoy your job as much as you can. And so even though it probably wasn't the best decision overall, I just, I don't know. I loved it. So it was cool. What was Kazakhstan like? That was a new race this year in Astana. What was it like? It's really interesting. So the city of it's now been renamed Nur Sultan, uh, formerly Astana, but, um, the city was formed in 1996. So literally it's like everything there is brand new and it's kind of like going to Vegas. So all of the buildings are like gold plated and just like crazy, like shapes and all this stuff. The roads are perfect, but then because it's such a new city, there's no urban sprawl. So as soon as you like get outside the city line, it's just like, there's nothing. Literally, it's just like being in Montana with like a road and nothing around you, like no houses, nothing. So it's kind of bizarre from that perspective, but the race itself was fun. I mean, it was really well organized. They have a whole triathlon park, the run, um, they're very dedicated to triathlon for one reason or another. And they have the whole run was along, um, the river, but it was 
they had this like strip of path that they had laid down essentially track surface, which was kind of cool. The roads on the bike were in perfect condition. It's like pancake flat, but it was really well organized and it was, it was a fun experience. I feel like I saw, are they doing a full there or am I making that they up? They are. Yeah. Okay. Full this year. Yeah. Sarah, we had heard rumors that you planned to race Kona in October of 2019 and then transition to more marathon focused training in an attempt to run under the two hour, 45 minute U S Olympic trial standard at the California international marathon in early December. However, that wasn't what happened. Instead, you raced Ironman Western Australia in early December, and you made plans to run the Houston marathon in mid January, 2020. Can you tell us about your own reasons for putting the marathon trial standard on your radar in the first place? And were the rumors true that like there was a change of plans here with how you shuffled your racing? Yes, that is true. I grew up as a runner and running's kind of always been my first love. And when I ran the 253 in Brazil earlier this year, it just kind of, it sort of gave me the confidence to want to put myself out there and see what was possible with, um, with marathon running. I don't expect to be a top marathoner in any capacity, but I, I thought like, oh, maybe I could make the Olympic trials. I thought that would be a good goal. And so my plan had been to run CIM in December, but I did not have a very good race in Kona this year. And I was pretty disappointed with the outcome given the preparation I had had. I felt like I had really gone in with some of the best preparation that I had ever had leading into the world championships before. So I just, I felt like I wanted to do another Ironman. I mean, that is my job and I wanted to be able to showcase kind of where I was at. And so I ended up just switching things around and deciding to do Ironman Western Australia. And <laughs> then I signed up for Houston, not telling my coach and sort of one day showed up at some practice and said, so Matt, you know, what, what do you think about me running a marathon? And he was like, are you nuts? Like, this is crazy. You just raced an Ironman. You like typically need six weeks off at the end of the year. Like, when are you going to train for a marathon? And I kind of just can, I was like, well, you know, I could take maybe like three or four weeks off and then I could train for like three weeks and we'll just go and see what happens. <laughs> and somehow convinced him to allow me to do that. And we, and we went for it. So, and I did not qualify for the Olympic trials. Uh, I missed it. And I did virtually follow your race in Houston and it, it was, it was heartbreaking to watch because you were on pace to run comfortably <laughs> under that yeah. 245 standard until I think the final two miles when <laughs> the tracker just started some very uncharacteristic characteristic split times for you and you ultimately finished in 246.55. Yep. Can you tell us about your day in Houston and, and was this your first experience with hitting the wall? I mean, or am I making that up? Was that not what happened? No, I hit the wall. I definitely hit the wall. So this is my first standalone marathon. I never run a marathon before. I was actually really inspired by you, Haley. I honestly, I mean, she, Haley and I were emailing back and forth a little bit and she said, you know, and I'd read her blog about training for CIM and how it wasn't going very well. And, you know, I was kind of having the same experience myself in my short preparation that I had for, for Houston. And, I just said, okay, well, Haley, you know, she said she, she did, she did fine. And so I can do it. I can do it. And I was really nervous. You know, I think I had a lot of anxiety about, about actually running a marathon without biking and swimming beforehand, which sounds crazy, but I, I don't know. Like, that's just what I'm used to, you know, I'm used to, to being very warmed up, obviously. 
Um, I had a lot of nervousness about just like going from the gun and running a pretty fast pace, but I went into the race and I just said, you know, I'm going to, there was a pace group and there was about 60 women in the pace group. And I spoke to the, um, pacer ahead of time. And he said that he was going to go through the half in one twenty two thirty, And I thought like, no way, you know, that's just cutting it too close for me. I don't want to leave any margin. That's just like, leaving no margin for error. And I want to leave a little bit of a margin for error. And I also knew there was going to be a pretty significant headwind from mile 12 to 18 on the course. And so I just decided to run my own race and went off by myself. And I felt honestly great. I was chugging along and I was like, this is no big deal. This is totally fine. And then I hit mile 20 and I was like, oh man, this is kind of starting to get a little hard, but I was looking at my, my watch going, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm under the, the qualification thing. And then at mile 22, I looked back and the pace group was catching me. And by this point it was just like maybe 10 women. So I slowed up and they caught me. I ran with them for two miles. And at mile 24, I literally just like, that was it. I was done. I hit a wall. I couldn't run any faster. I was like weaving from side to side. Like I was thinking that there was water on the side of the road, but it was just like all these people set up with with tables of beer. And I didn't even know if I was going to finish. Like it was just the last two miles were so hard for me. And so, yeah, I didn't end up hitting the qualification and I was disappointed. You know, I had, I really think it would be a tremendous experience to go and run the Olympic trials, but I also had such a fun experience getting out there and just giving it my all and doing something different that it was fine. I didn't really mind one way or the other. We've talked to some Germans before on the podcast and I feel like they call that moment the the man with the hammer comes for you in the marathon. Like oh my God. it's been referred to on the podcast before. I, I don't know if it got lost in translation, but it also feels kind of accurate for what happens in a marathon. <laughs> I've never had that happen to me before in a race. I don't know if you guys have in an Ironman, but like usually in Ironman you just start to get tired and I just can kind of like slog along. And honestly, I didn't even think that that would happen to me in the mar- the the marathon race because I thought, well, I'm just so resilient because I do all these, you know, Ironman races. I'll be fine. And I I just, it was like I was, you know, have you seen Brittany runs a marathon? Yes, have we have. There's we a part have. where she's like, we're going backwards. <laughs> That's what I felt like. <laughs> I was just moving nowhere. I think you were still probably going a little faster than a Brittany runs a marathon. <laughs> but, I, felt, I felt like I was yeah. uh, And we know you're still like early in your marathon and career, but you, you know, we all lead public lives where we share a lot with people and we put our goals out there. So what was it like to like put yourself out there, have this different goal, right? And then it's a pretty big goal and then you fall short. Like how did you do that with like, you know, a public facing life? Like we all lead, I guess. You know, it's interesting because I find in triathlon and I don't know if you guys experience the same thing, but I feel like, I don't know, like I'm frequently encouraged not to say, oh, I'm going to go and try to win this race, or I'm going to try to go do this, or I'm going to try to do that. Like I'm a little bit more reserved when it comes to um, making statements like that in triathlon, because I don't know, like, I don't know if it's like, you're not supposed to let your competitors know your strategy or, or whatever, but I just found for the marathon, I mean, I don't really have any stake in the game, right? Like I was literally just going out there and kind of doing it for fun and trying to see what was possible. But so for me, I didn't really mind 
making myself vulnerable. I think there's a lot to be said for sometimes putting yourself out there and failing. So that was okay. I was, I was happy to do it actually. So when we, speaking of Germans, when we talk to now reigning Ironman world champion, Annie Haug, about a year ago, she talked about her own history with racing a marathon on limited run specific training. And I believe she said she thought the standalone marathon was harder. So I admittedly have not run nearly as fast as Annie, either standalone or off the bike, but I would vote for the Ironman marathon being harder. I think the man with the hammer has definitely hit me several times during the marathon, the Ironman marathon. So what is your vote? Oh, my vote's definitely the standalone marathon. Oh man. (laughs) Because I just don't, I don't, I mean, not that the marathon's not hard, but to me, like in Ironman, like I'm not pushing myself that hard in the marathon. Like you're just, I'm running at like a nice tempo pace, you know, like I could like sit and have a conversation practically with somebody. I mean, I realize that it hurts a little bit because we're tired and dehydrated and calorie deprived and things like that. But it's kind of like the difference between racing an Ironman and an Olympic distance race, right? It's just like the intensity is so different. And I found that the marathon is definitely harder for me. I'm going to be reminding myself in, in New Zealand, like, this is just a tempo pace. Alyssa, just go with tempo pace. <laughs> I, wait, I want to know, Alyssa, do you have a vote in that? Have you run many? You've run a couple of marathons on standalone. I ran a lot of standalone marathons, like, in before I really got into Ironman and I wasn't really like I was trying hard for what I was, but I wasn't really training to my potential at that point, I guess, in my life. So it was definitely different, but I've run one where I like in 2015, where I trained hard and wanted to like really go for it. And I, I would say this, I mean, I haven't raced another standalone since 2015. So I think like, I'm still scarred from that. I mean, it went well, but like, yeah, I think there's a reason I've just continued to do, you know, Ironman instead of standalone <laughs> marathons. But I mean, they each for sure in the moment when you're having a tough day in Ironman, like you can ask me again and I'm sure I'll say Ironman marathon. So I don't know. They're both so hard. <laughs> but I feel like, I mean, the difference for me, and I don't know if you, if you guys experience this, but like when I cross the finish line in the marathon, the standalone marathon, I got done and I was like so sore, like I could hardly walk. But I was like, oh, all right, like no big deal. Because at the end of an Ironman, I am like so spent and so exhausted and so depleted in every way because they've just been going for so like so many more hours. So the exhaustion I feel at the end of both both the 70.3 and an Ironman is so much greater than I felt at the end of the marathon. Um, you finish, you got to finish the marathon at like nine 46 in the morning. <laughs> you can go to breakfast <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> versus like 5 PM or 6 PM. You're like, is Taco Bell still open? And like, let's start about like, what are my options right now? <laughs> or midnight. And uh, I was going to say, but it, yeah, it's a, it's weird to be done that early in the day. It was kind of, that was kind of nice. Yeah, it was nice for sure. And not um, to have to like pack up so much stuff. Yeah. That's true. You just like can take your shoes off and be like, okay, get some flip flops. Yeah, you, like, you don't have to like drag like, your bike. Your middle and you're like, you're like, oh, okay. I guess I'm gonna go home now. Like, <laughs> so, Sarah, the new rumor is that you're planning to run the Boston Marathon this coming April. So, is this rumor true? We've been apparently just hearing rumors flying. <laughs> that rumor is also true. <laughs> I um. After the, after I finished Houston, um, one of my sponsors, Cliff Bar, is 
the nutrition sponsor for the Boston Marathon. And they reached out to me and asked if I was interested in running. And at first I was like, no, because the race is April 20th. And I just thought that it would kind of interfere too much with my triathlon season. But then I definitely got the marathon bug a little bit after Houston. I definitely felt like, I felt like I probably got out of the race what I put into it, which was like not a ton of training. And I just, I'm sort of motivated to see what I can do. And so I spoke to Matt Dixon, my coach, and we decided to have me go for it. And so I'm still training, I'm still cycling, and I'm still swimming, just kind of a reduced load. And my primary focus right now is on running, and and I am going to do Boston. And I just um, found out that I'm pretty sure I'm going to be in the elite field, so I have extra motivation not to mess this one up. Do you have feelings on, it was just recently announced that the elite women will be starting after the elite men. So do you have any, any feelings on that? I didn't know that, you know, I really like in a lot of the races, how they start the women before. I think it gives a lot of focus to the women initially. And then that, you know, they go back and forth between the men and the women. But I also think that it gives the women their moment because usually the first few women cross before the first men cross. And I don't know, I think it's a I think it's an important precedent. So in some aspects, I guess I'm a little bit disappointed with that, but I don't know. Like I don't really know marathon running and the, and the running scene enough to like have a huge perspective on it. But in the races that I've always watched, yeah, I've just, I've loved the fact that the women have gone first. So given that at this time in 2019, you were in the kind of in the middle of a training break and pretty uncertain about your future as a triathlete. One year later, here you are, you have your Kona slot secured, you're training for the yeah. Boston Marathon, you're going to be in the lead wave, you're going to have like a bib that says Sarah and like be on TV. <laughs> what is your mindset like now compared to 12 months ago? Oh, I'm in such a better place. I mean, I definitely think that I, I, I really appreciate Nat taking the initiative to encourage me to take a, such a big break at the end of 2018 and the beginning of last year. I really credit that for kind of refining my love of the sport. And, you know, I'm almost 40 years old. I'm kind of coming towards the end of my career. And I'm in a place now where I'm just trying to, like, appreciate every experience I have and every opportunity and just, you know, try new things and put myself out there. And I think sometimes, like, at certain points in your career, for example, in past years, I've been so focused on Kona. I've put everything into that race at the expense of either doing other races and maybe making some income or, you know, even enjoying the process just because everything's been like Kona, Kona, Kona. And I think at this point, I'm kind of in this place where I'm running the Boston Marathon in April. And it's not that it's keeping me from my performance goals in triathlon, but I'm a lot more open to trying new things and putting myself out there a little bit and taking some risks. And maybe like, maybe I succeed at it and maybe I fail, but I definitely am. I'm wanting to have fun, fun with it and still perform at a really high level. And I guess just kind of like see what's possible, but with a little bit of a different approach. Do you, I guess, ever wish that you had started that approach earlier? And, you know, like, what would you tell a rookie female professional coming to you now and wants, you know, is curious about that approach and, like, you know, is wondering, should I be putting all my eggs in this Kona basket or should I, you know, be looking at other adventures that I might like to have while, you know, I'm in my 30s and my body is doing this stuff? 
It's a really good question. And I guess my answer is kind of mixed about it. Like I don't have any regrets about putting all my eggs into the Kona basket and like really giving it a go. You know, I had dreams of winning Kona or being on the podium of in Kona and I'm glad that I went for it. You know, like I didn't succeed. I failed, but I, I wanted to have the opportunity to like really go for it. But I also think that if, if you only measure your success as an athlete based off of your success at Kona or at 70.3 worlds or whatever, it doesn't really mean much, you know, like I, I, I think that you'll probably walk away from your career, probably dissatisfied, you know, unless you're Daniela, who's like won so many times. I mean, it's, it's hard to achieve everything you want to achieve in professional sport. And so I think that it's okay to like, for a period of time to, to really go for it. But then I think it's also important to gain perspective and be willing to try new things and different strategies and appreciate how fun it is too. And a couple of uh, seventh place finishes in Kona in 2015 and 2016 is not, is not quite, well, I wouldn't call that a failure if it was me. But, um. No, not at all. But you know, it's like so funny, like in the moment you're like, Oh, I was seventh. What like I, in the moment, that's how I was feeling. And now I'm like, Oh my gosh, I was seventh. Like that was so great. You know? So I do feel like just in general, I think it's hard when you're earlier in your career, sometimes to have perspective on things. And I think when you get later in your career, you definitely have a much greater appreciation for all of the successes and the failures, actually. The joys of getting older. I know. (laughs) Sarah, you're on the board of the Professional Triathletes Organization, or PTO. And according to protriathletes.org, the PTO is a not-for-profit entity that supports the body of professional triathletes. Obviously, the PTO has made a lot of news lately with the announcement of the partnership with billionaire Mark Moritz and Crankstart Investments, a second open letter to the Wanda Sports Group offering to effectively purchase all Ironman-branded races, as well as announcements of the Collins Cup Triathlon happening this May and offering an unprecedented $2 million prize purse. So I'm not really sure if you can help me with this first question, but is the PTO really a not-for-profit entity? Because... It seems a little unusual for Crankstart to make an investment in an entity that doesn't intend to distribute surplus funds. So is the investment actually a charitable contribution or am I missing something or should I be asking someone else this question or is it written out somewhere? It's probably worth asking somebody else. But I think like, for example, the PGA, it's structured very similar to the PGA, which I I believe is also not for profit. And all of the money is either distributed to the golfers, the athletes through prize money or like reinvested into marketing and things like that. And I think that that's sort of the same strategy that's going to be applied here. And ultimately, like that is the goal of the PTO. And we formed the organizations a number of years ago, really with the hope of empowering the professional athletes and with a vision that, you know, if you look at sports like darts or poker or the UFC, for example, the people who are participating in these events are, are making a really good living and doing really well. And when we took a step back and we viewed what was going on, we saw that that really started when they um, were able to gain traction 
through the media and being on television. And so that was sort of like where we started with having this vision of trying to create a platform for triathlon to be something that spectators around the world, not necessarily participants in triathlon, but people who are unrelated to triathlon are going to want to go and watch these athletes compete. And so, you know, it's taken us a lot of time, but through the investment from Mike Moritz and Crankstart Investments, it's really allowing us the platform to begin to be able to execute on that. And, you know, Mike is... I think in some ways it's very easy to look at it from, you know, a philanthropic standpoint, but he sees the value in, um, what industries like, or sports like the UFC or even golf have done and the need to kind of get the sport on television and make it more of a spectator sport. And so that's really the goal. And the end game is to be able to create a platform for us as professionals to be able to make a better living and, and succeed. And Sarah, the Collins Cup is scheduled to happen this May in Samarin, Slovakia. So can you tell us about the unique format of the event? Sure. It's um, structured after the Ryder Cup, um, which for those who are not familiar, the Ryder Cup is a golf event where they have teams from, I think, the United States, international and Europe, maybe it may, may even be the same same regional breakdown. I'm not sure, but it's teams from three different regions around the world. And they select the highest ranked athletes in their respective regions. And then each golfer is paired against one golfer from one region is paired against another golfer for another region, paired against another golfer from a golfer from another region. And they compete against one another. And so it's a number of different matches that are going on. And the Collins Cup is structured the same way. So we will have six men and six women from three different regions, the U.S., Europe, and international. And it will be 12 races that will go on. So one man from each region, there'll be six different male races and one female from each region. And there'll be six different female races and we'll compete against one another. And it will be, you'll win points for essentially who wins that particular race. And that will, those points will go to your regions overall, like placing within the Collins cup. So it's really like, um, it's a showcase for the sport. So in the past, I've really enjoyed watching the top pros race non-traditional swim, bike, run races in exotic locations like the Island House Triathlon in the Bahamas. And I consider Super League uh, Triathlon Series must-see TV while I'm riding indoors. So how is the Collins Cup different from these types of races? Well, I think a couple of things. One is it's not it's not going to be uh, Ironman distance, and it's not going to be seventy point three distance. It's um, like ITU long course is is the distance, and the track itself is going to be set up so that it's more uh, accessible for people who are there to be able to view. We're going to be mic'd, so you can hear the correspondence between the coaches and what's going on with the athletes during the race. So you can there's going to be a lot more strategy involved, and it's just going to be set up in a more spectator friendly way. And also because there's going to be media there and uh, camera crews, it's also going to be televised. That sounds intense. <laughs> I can't ima- quite imagine competing with a microphone in my ear and having to listen to like anyone. <laughs> I know. I know. Hopefully it works out. I mean, it's kind of like a strange thing to think about. But... And Sarah, you're currently ranked as the fourth American woman in the PTO world rankings, which would land you an automatic slot on the United States team at the Collins Cup. So is racing there a post Boston goal for you? It is. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm hoping that I get selected, you know, I just think it's an exciting opportunity. And so, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely on my radar. It's definitely one of my goals. It'll probably be, there's 
a potential that I race a 70.3 before the Collins cup, but that will likely be one of my first races of the season. And you mentioned your sponsor, Cliff Bar, earlier. And at Iron Woman, we love being able to suggest some Earth-friendly ideas for our listeners. And I'm sure many probably use Cliff Nutrition products. So you talked to, or you've written, or you've social media, Instagram. I don't know my verb is here. But uh, about <laughs> the wrapper recycling program at Cliff Nutrition. So can you tell us about this program? Sure. So Cliff Bar's partnered with TerraCycle to essentially recycle all, it's not actually not just Cliff Bar wrappers, but it's actually all energy bar wrappers. And so you can um, recycle it in one or two ways. There are about 14,000 locations around the United States that accept energy bar wrappers and will then send them into TerraCycle for recycling. Or free of charge, you can send your wrappers into TerraCycle and they will recycle them for you. And for every wrapper that gets sent in, Cliff Bar donates, I think it's like one cent or one fraction of a cent to tree planting around the U.S. And uh, so far, I think that they've donated over $500,000 to forest uh, restoration and tree planting, which is pretty exciting. So I save all my wrappers and I mean, it's kind of funny because I like literally don't throw my wrappers out. Even in races, I like stuff them down my sports bra and save them just because I feel like otherwise they just go into landfill and I'd rather that they go into a recycling program. And I believe that with TerraCycle for listeners, it's, you know, Noon Hydration is a sponsor of the podcast as well. And I think that they also accept the Noon Hydration canister. So it's a great initiative and a great Thing to look into for sure for like all of the things that we're consuming as athletes to have like an earth-friendly option. So thanks for telling us more yeah. about that. And Sarah, where can everyone follow you and your journey to Boston and Collins Cup, hopefully, and everything beyond in 2020? Yeah, uh, I'm on Instagram at Sarah Piampiano. I'm on Twitter. I don't even know what my Twitter name is. Hold on. <laughs> at Sarah Piampiano is my Twitter name as well. Um, so yeah, and, and I'd love the support, you know, anybody who's, you know, following along for Boston, I I'm super excited and it's just, for me, it's like another opportunity to kind of put myself out there. So any support you can show would be amazing. Okay, Alyssa, imagine you're stranded on a deserted Island and you have to pick one thing to drink for the rest of your life. What would you choose? Haley, I think I'd have to go with Noon Sport Watermelon Flavor. Nice choice. Personally, I'd opt for the Noon Endurance Lemon Lime Flavor because in my deserted island fantasy, I'm still getting in regular 90-minute workouts. That sounds totally reasonable. The good news is that all Noon Hydration products are made with clean, quality ingredients that are good for your body and the planet. So if you ever find yourself on a deserted island, or maybe just in the middle of a really long training day, you'll be thankful that Iron Women podcast listeners get 30% off all noon hydration purchases by using the code IRONWOMEN at noonlife.com. Haley, I took the liberty of looking up our 2008 Boston Marathon times so that maybe we can have the listeners weigh in if they think that Sarah will um, beat our time. Do you need a refresher about what these times were? I, I do need a refresher. I think we might be like an hour slower than Sarah's goal pace, but you never know. What what did we run? So in 2008, you ran a three hour 32, 29. 
marathon. Ooh, not bad. And I was less than a minute behind you. It's three hours, 33 minutes, and 25 seconds. So, I mean, we were so close. Our paths were like we were destined to be Iron Women podcast co-hosts. Haley, this was our first stroke of destiny. We were destined to be each other. That is crazy. In a race with like 30,000 people, we crossed the finish line within a minute of each other. That that has to be destiny. But um, I know I'm, I'm interested to see if anyone writes in ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Do you think Sarah Piampiano, <laughs> Lord, in 2020 will run faster than a 332? I... I, 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 my vote, Alyssa is yes. Um, I think she will, she will, she will probably beat us and I'm excited <laughs> to watch her race. Um, and on April 20th, I think it'll be fun. And I, I love this like marathon fever we have going on now. It's, it's really good for me. She's probably going to get one of the like very nice usable Boston marathon, like swag, right? I guess then the elites probably get like something quite nice, but like do you still have, it was like a long sleeve cotton t-shirt, right? Like a very large, like, and I, of course, probably, I think it was unisex sizing. So I'm sure I put medium and it was like a giant. So I think my, one of my parents has it. Oh, I think I bought one. I, I bought a t-shirt. I don't, I, I think, it, I don't know. I think I've like lost it over the years. As you can but, see, it was very special to us. Well, back then my, like, my budget was very, very, very tight. And I actually like went up for a single night because I could only like, cause it was the most expensive weekend of my life. And um, the hotels were so expensive and I, I do kind of regret not buying a Boston marathon jacket. Cause now we see people wearing those and they are kind of cool. So maybe one of these days I will go back and run the Boston marathon and I will get that jacket. I actually, you know what my souvenir was? I got a coffee mug and it was in, I stayed with my parents to save, <laughs> to save money. And it was in the like gift shop. It wasn't even at the expo. It was at the gift shop at the hotel where I was with my parents. And I still actually have, it's like one of my favorite coffee mugs. It's great. We were impressive, like 23 year olds though, I will say for running the Boston marathon. I give us a lot of credit, but, um, great conversation with Sarah. We wish her the best of luck on her road to Boston and beyond. And for any of our listeners who have an interest in being on our road to 2020, <laughs> I don't even know. I need to come up with a better shtick here, but, um, our Patreon community is, is a, is a great time. And, uh, you can find out more at patreon.com forward slash live feisty. It is a community of supporters who we very much appreciate, who inspire us to get great interviews like Sarah and bring you fresh perspectives every single week. And you can join for like as little as like a dollar a month or maybe it's $2. I think it might be $2, maybe maybe $2, but yeah, <laughs> it, very small investment and the return is great. So Thank you to everyone who continues to listen to us week after week. Let us know your mailbag questions, ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. Haley, happy training. I'll talk to you next week. Bye, Alyssa. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please subscribe, like, and comment on iTunes. My favorite podcast hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. My favorite editor is Aaron Hamilton. The Iron Women podcast is a live feisty media production.